This is UMass Hockey on WMUA Sports. And we are back. It's another episode of the Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA. It's been a long time coming. We've been out a while, so I think... uh, it's just appropriate to get right right into it, uh, along with John Ruggiero, Jacob Repper. I am Andrew Golden. Last week, uh, UMass played UConn, and it was pretty much a perfect weekend for them. Guys, do you think? Yeah, pretty much. Andrew, that game was a lot of what we've been talking about this whole year and how we need to see UMass play a lot better defense, trust their goaltending a little bit more, break out a little bit more efficiently, and that's exactly what we saw out of them. They played just a solid game. And also, I asked Coach Carvel about this a few weeks ago, about just the underclassmen scoring and the depth of scoring that we've seen from them, and it really has been tremendous when you have a lot of the younger guys stepping up. Idar Sunyev had a goal Saturday night, his insane wrist shot, which i got to hear your call, Andrew. I heard it was pretty epic. You're getting that underclassmen scoring, and they're really starting to win games. And if they keep doing that going forward, it could be a really good run for them. And how about Michael Harvel? You know, he's getting hot at the right time, and the coach has kind of talked a little bit about that. I believe he saved 72 of 73 shots. So a guy who was kind of up and down all season seems to have found it at a perfect time for UMass. And, you know, I think he was awarded Hockey's Goaltender of the Week honors, and just an incredible showing for the young goaltender who really – stepped up when they needed him most. I mean, UConn had a lot of shots on goal that whole weekend. I think 36 both nights. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just huge to see him step up. Well, in the defense, they kind of allowed those those shots on net, but, you know, the offense was able to step up, as you said, Jacob. uh, You know, Sunyev scored, O'Hara scored, O'Neal scored, Lashmelis got a goal in the first game. So a great showing all around, especially for the freshmen. And just to to recap our our listeners, Friday, February 9th, uh, score, final score was two to nothing. Uh, Donslich Mellis got the game. What ended up being the game-winning goal, uh, two minutes and 55 seconds into the third period, off a nifty little feed from Scott Morrow. Uh, credit the other assist to Sammy Ninasari, and then Jack Musa added a little bit of insurance about 18 seconds later, assisted by. Kenny Connors and Cole O'Hara. That was that was a goal where I, I didn't know if they were going to give any assists. If you remember, uh, Connors and O'Hara were in on the four check there, and like both of them ended up touching the puck a little bit before before it, it bleed it bled out to Musa in the slot. Um, but that's just it's just a really solid road effort, keeping it keeping it real tight defensively, and eventually coming away with the winner early in the third, and then shutting it down from there on out. And Andrew, that's really the point that I think has to be made very clearly is that that was a huge road win for UMass. We talked about it leading up to that week. UMass had to go to Toscano Ice Forum, which brand new, just a year old, a pretty lively UConn crowd, and they went in there and they dominated. Michael Robble, like John said, got his second career shutout, really good defense. It almost makes you wonder if they can go on the road and start accumulating some more of these wins especially which we're going to get into with the big BC game coming up. How important is those, are those road games, and will that translate the rest of the season? Well, it's huge. You know, Carvel really stressed um, coming into the weekend, you know, 
I, I tried to ask him how important is it to build momentum against BC or with BC coming up. How important is it to build momentum against UConn? And he said he wasn't even worried about BC because they had a tough task at UConn. Even though, well, UConn's you know not the the best of hockey East, if you will. But it, Toscano is a home barn, as uh, Carvel called it, and he was worried about that. And UMass showed up to play down in stores, and I think that is huge, like you said, Jacob, for the upcoming games because they're going to have to play in Conte form. It's going to be sold out. So it, look, it seems like they're getting used to the hostile environments. And not only hostile environments, but just figuring out ways to uh, stay tight around your goaltender, make sure that there aren't any major opportunities for the other team, and just, you know, uh, limiting limiting chances, and I think that's what UMass did really well. Obviously, uh, Michael Robel uh, in that game faced 36 shots, but you know there were only I'd say two or three like major chances for UConn. They really kept them to the outside. Matthew Wood had eight shots on goal, but they were all from a distance. You know, uh, Mike Cavanaugh. It was it was interesting in the in the press conference after uh, the game at the Mullen Center. He mentioned the word Corsi. Uh, it was it was an interesting contrast between Kavanaugh and Carvel because uh, I asked a question about Matthew Wood and he's like, yeah, he's uh, really getting the Corsi going. Uh, you know, good uh, good for that line. And then Carvel takes the stand and he goes, shots don't matter. But I think that's really you know the the difference in philosophies and for Carvel squad it it won out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, advanced stats versus, I guess, empirical stats, if you will. A lot of coaches do it differently. But I want to touch back on your point about Robble. Andrew, you sounded the alarm with Robble probably the earliest in the radio than anyone else. Where are you right now with his performance? Got both starts, got both wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew it was going to be a bit of a challenge bringing him in early. You know, he wasn't even supposed to be here. When I might have touched on that. Um, before but uh, wasn't even supposed to be here this year so obviously you know the transition period probably wasn't going to be the smoothest and you know Carvel mentioned it himself he said that the the world juniors him going to the world juniors he was hoping that would be uh, a, a point where he he steadies the, he steadies his own ship and I think he's done that and more so you know uh, that game against Team Canada was just a master class for Harabo. Obviously, he got pulled in the next game, but I think the experience has really helped him, and he's just been he's just been a brick wall ever ever since then. And I, I knew it would take a a little bit of time, um, but it seems like he's really fully come into form here. And you know, it wasn't just this last weekend either. Even going back to the weekend before where they uh, had a game at, uh, at Merrimack where I believe he only let up two and then a game versus Maine at home where they only let up one so he's really you know starting to build these consecutive starts well the weekend before he might not have gotten the result that he wanted but then you know was able to sweep UConn so like I said earlier a really great time for him to really just get into the flow of the season and hot goaltenders they can win teams games no doubt and it, it sometimes it comes down to the hot goaltender and it seems like that may be the case for UMass and when you just think about the human aspect of Michael Robb the 19 year old from 
Czechia coming into an, a new country that he's not very familiar with, and we've kind of seen him lean on some of the Europeans in Sunyev and Lushmelis. But that's a, that's a tough thing to do, especially as a goaltender on a team where you don't really know who's the number one guy. They throw him right in there and say, here, it's your net, and you got to make the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hrabble was in uh, Omaha last year with the, with the Lancers, but uh, that, that wasn't a great team. Um, so that may not have been the best spot for him to gain his footing. Uh, and Sunyev's been here for a while, too. Um, and so I, I think they, they might share, you know, experiences uh, with, you know, with, with each other about being, you know, from Europe and coming over here. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's got his stats. Jacob just p- pulled up the stats. He, he, he's got up to a 922 now, which, you know, considering where he was, um, before he left for the World Juniors is pretty impressive. I think he was at a, he was at like a 905, something like that, uh, save percentage, up to 12.5 and one for the for the record. So he's he's really settled things down here. And obviously it was a little bit too late to to get into a, a Richter consideration, uh, unlike uh, goalie we'll be talking about momentarily. But you know I I think. I don't think UMass really cares about that right now. Well, you mentioned that goalie, Andrew, that is Jacob Fowler. He sits in eighth in the nation in uh, save for tens with 924. So probably only .002 behind him, and probably sits in tenth in the nation. So, you know, it's it's been great for Howell to, to really just start playing well, playing up to his capability. He's a, a second-round draft pick. Not many goalies are taken that high. So... You know, credit to the Coyotes for seeing something in this mammoth of a man standing at six seven. But you know, it, you mentioned the, the Richter conversation. It, it, it's not too late for that. There's still plenty of games to be played, and you know, it, it's it's just great to see him really uh, become like a, a flower sprouting out of the ground for UMass. If I remember correctly, lo- lo- looking back at the draft, I I remember thinking that the Coyotes kind of got a steal out of him because he was he was the top-ranked goalie in the class uh and pre- he was a projected first-round pick by by uh, a lot of a lot of credible sources. Uh he ended up slipping to the second round and he wasn't even the first goalie drafted. When the second round started, I I you know, circled the, the Chicago Blackhawks because they they need a goalie, and I was like, this is where Harbaugh's going, and they took uh, they they took Adam Guyan instead. Um, so, I think the Coyotes, once he fell to them, they were like, wow, you know, um, and he's really starting to, to to prove you know what the hype was all about. Yeah, for sure, and. On that topic, if you do want to switch to Jacob Fowler, who UMass will be facing this Friday and then likely Sunday, I'm not sure what the goal is. Are they really riding him back-to-back, would you say? I think he's played every game for him. Okay. Yeah, do you think that changes at all, being that they have that Saturday off? It's kind of No, I doubt it. Difficult. I, I think it's going to be Fowler the whole way. Yeah, he's got 26 games played, 2.23 goals against average, 924 save percentage, which is pretty un- unbelievable. He's a great goalie in his own right, but I do want to – really point out the fact that this BC offense is so explosive. They score so many goals, and the puck is in the offensive zone so many times for Boston College that maybe the workload's a little bit easier for Fowler. 
yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> when a team is scoring at the rate of BC, you know, the goalie's not going to be tested much. But just a uh, point on the, you know, um, whether or not he started every game, it was actually John Corrick who started against Harvard uh, in the Constellation game of the Beanpot. So he's he's had a, a, a week off, I suppose. So that's an interesting development there. And, of course, Corrick won that game, saved all 24 uh, crimson shots and a shutout to get the win and third place for the Eagles. But yeah, I mean, when a team scores at the rate of BC, you got guys like Gabe Perot and Will Smith, you're not going to go wrong in the back end. And if I think Fowler probably hasn't been tested as much as maybe he would like or others would like, but you know, he still has been up to the task when he has been tested. And, John, you alluded to one of the keys to the game, for me at least, personally, is testing him. UMass has to test Cam Fowler, or, uh, excuse me, Jacob Fowler early. If they do a good job of doing that, I think they could really catch him by surprise. But back to what you were saying about the BC offense, 17 games of scoring four or more goals on this BC team. They, they played 27 games this year. That's remarkable. Yeah, and uh, we'll, 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 get, we'll get into uh, BC a little bit more, but... Uh, I, I think the, the four goals thing that you mentioned is is pretty significant because you know from from what we've heard out of uh, the players and Greg Carville recently how they've been trying to to tighten up defensively and uh, how they've trying to get uh, get them under two goals or less uh, the the opponent and they've they've really taken a focus to that and while they can say it it's not in preparation for this game specifically it's going to be you know what it what it all comes down to is facing a team that scores goals so as easily as they do you know and Carvel mentioned becoming more of a defensive first team he wanted to see the defense getting better and then uh, they faced Maine and put up nothing so I think they're coming back to the offensive first mindset and they're going to need that against Boston College I think because they've got Hrabble in the back end and he's performing well um, at this point in time, so I think they're going to want to rely on him a little bit more than they uh, wanted to perhaps a month ago. And it's going to be up to guys like Jack Musa and Idar Suniev and Lucas Mercury, Ryan Lottenbach to just really get these shots on net and pepper Fowler because the name of the game is going to be who has the most high danger scoring chances. And I guarantee you, whoever has more is going to win. And like you're saying about the defense-first mindset, UMass has given up five goals in just their last five games, so they're averaging just one goal against a game. And one thing that I thought was interesting in the player media that Andrew and I were at this week was Morrow, of course, was touching on how important it is to be solid defensively and how they've really worked on that in practice. But it was also Nick Van Tassel, a freshman that's slotted somewhere on the third or fourth line. When a forward is saying that, how important it is to be on defense and back check and play well in your own zone first before starting to think about offense, that really goes to show what the mindset is is of this UMass team, which seems like a transition from the beginning of the year where it was a lot of offense maybe at different periods of time to now where it's definitely or it appears to be defense first. Yeah, I mean, Nick Van Tassel has kind of always been that guy. Um, he didn't really get a chance to show for it at the beginning of the year. He was battling an injury that, um, while he was, like, quote-unquote healthy at the start of the year, um, it, Coach Carville, I guess, deemed it, that it wasn't really worth, you know, sticking him in into the, to the lineup 
you know, I- immediately. Um, so it, it took him a bit of time to, to work his way into the lineup. Um, but, you know, he lately especially he's been starting to show uh, why he deserves to stay in the lineup because he has been, you know, he's, he's been a really strong forechecking forward uh, as as we've expected, the big body, six foot four, uh, just throws some big hits, forces turnovers in the offensive zone, and that's that that's that's also defense, right? Uh, you think defensive, you, you think defense, and you see think defensive zone, but it doesn't have to be that. Um, f- causing turnovers on the forecheck and stuff like that, that's that's effective defense too, and especially if it leads to prime offensive zone chances so he's he's used to he's used to being uh defensive minded uh so it, it's it's been an easy transition for him uh it's been probably a little bit harder for some other players um thinking like idar sunyev um you know maybe luch melish a little bit but he's a center um but some some of the other some of the other wingers um but yeah uh it, you 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 did point it out that it it's a, it's been a team wide thing at this point. And I'd like to touch on a point you just made, Andrew. Guys like Van Tassel, O'Neill, and even Lashmelis didn't start the year with the team really. I mean, Lashmelis himself had to sit out four games, and then of course Van Tassel and O'Neill were in and out of the lineup for a, a couple months, and then now they're regulars, of course, with uh, Van Raboy's going down and Van Tassel getting to 100%. So, and I think that's really just allowed the team to flourish. I mean, th- they finally have their set guys, it seems, and they're only switching out maybe one or two every weekend as Carvel sees fit, like, for instance, Trunkfist coming in for McDermott. But this is the squad they're going to stick with for the rest of the way, and I think that's very important for a team not to have, you know, uh, different guys subbing in and out of the third and fourth line because at the end of the day, this past weekend, the fourth line was probably one of the best on the ice, of course. I mean, they they would have been, like, plus four if they didn't have goals taken off the board. It was it was crazy the 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 amount of times they were their names were called and the amount of times that it worked for them you know other than getting the goals called back but yeah I mean ha- having that depth is um, something that um, is has been sorely missed ever since you know the the departure of some of the some of the guys from the national championship team uh, and and more um, so. Uh, getting the depth has been really important to you know all of that offense defense just team chemistry all of that stuff and if you go into the mind of coach carver right now i asked him a few weeks ago actually if anything changes in his coaching style and he said no pretty pretty straightforwardly that's nothing really changes but the one thing if, if you're in his head real quick if you wonder what it's like to be him and this is kind of similar to what you guys are saying. It's so important to get your guys on a page of continuity where you're doing things effectively the same over and over and over again. And I think that kind of sh- mimics what you're saying, John, with a lot of symmetry in the lines, not a lot of movements within the lineup. And when you have a team like UMass, which is very deep, which we've talked about, but if you get those guys on the same page right now in February and it really seems like they're starting to come together, they could really make a good run, and they have that right in front of them. Yeah, and... Chemistry is probably one of the most important things in hockey, right? I mean, just that fourth line alone, Lashmelis, or, well, Carvel switched Cameron and Lashmelis, so it ended up being Lashmelis on the fourth line alongside uh, Van Tassel and Gorman. But 
you know, when you look at how many new guys there are, it's going to take a little bit of a long time to get that chemistry, and it seems like they, they finally have it you know, on the offense, on the defense, in the goal. I don't think things could be going much better for UMass at this point. And I think all, all of this that we've been talking about right here is – um, just to just to wrap up what what I was gonna say about this weekend and how how I think that you know it's UConn not the best or not the best team in hockey East or in the country but I th- I think that th- this uh, this weekend is a good example of why they're such a better team than they were you know say a month ago even because you know where in in these situations the the road game at Toscano, 0-0 going into the third period, they may not have come out on the right side of that in, say, December. Um, but, you know, Brady being the, being in net, uh, missing Luchmelis, you know, th- those things were a bit of a factor. But, you know, into the new year, they come out on the right side of these. Um, and then just in, in a dominating effort, uh, in the Saturday game, obviously the score doesn't quite show for it. The the shots don't quite show for it, um, but they put five goals or they they put five shots behind Ethan Hyder, and uh, ended up being a three to one score. Uh, but you know it was a lot more solid of a UMass win um, than you know just a cursory glance at the uh, at, at the stat sheet shows. And I think that's I think that's the main difference between um, like right right now and you know say a month ago yeah for sure that's a great point Andrew and like you said looking ahead make no mistake about it this game is what we call a yardstick game this is where you measure yourself against Boston College if UMass goes in here and gets themselves a split I think they'd be happy with that a sweep they'd be elated but it really comes down not so much because UMass they're they're in the thick of it right now I believe we're ranked excuse me UMass is ranked 11th 10th. 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 Thank you. Yeah. There's in pairwise. In pairwise. 10th in pairwise, and they got up to 10th in the USCHO, too, I believe. No, no, they're 11th in they're USCHO. 11th. So they're close. They're, they're trending up. But one thing that really is important to me is score is important. You want to go in here. You want to play good. You want to come away with, with two wins. That would be amazing. That's a, that's a perfect world, though. But if you play really solid hockey against the number one team in the nation, both games are going to be sold out. It's a home and home. That's really where you'll be able to tell. And I think more than any week, you'll be able to tell right now, in a few days, come Sunday night, where this UMass team is and where they're heading. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, you know, you you mentioned it. Uh, this is the the cream of the crop, uh, not only in hockey East, but obviously in all of college hockey. They're the number one ranked team in college hockey, and UMass says you know, put up some good efforts against uh, almost number one teams, BU. Um, obviously, they only came away with uh, what's one point out of that with, mm-hmm. a, with, a, with a tie and a loss. Um, but, you know, they didn't look bad in that series. And they, I, I, I'd venture to say that they're a lot better uh, of a team now than they were four, uh, four weeks into the season in October. And Coach Carvel. I, I'm basically saying verbatim what Coach Carvel has said about about the team too, um, so I think they have a they have a lot better of a chance, especially you know taking a look at what they've done uh, this this season. UMass is you know obviously they're 
out of conference schedule has been really solid. Their only losses out of conference are to Michigan and you know Clarkson, but uh, they've been really solid in Division Two in what I would say is the best conference in college hockey this year. Um, nine five and two in in conference. Some some bad losses to Vermont there, but you know uh, some really solid wins in there too. And you know I think that um, this is really all shaping up for one of the biggest weekends of the year and it's now or never for umass you said it, jacob they have to this is going to show them where they're going to go of course it's the number one team in the nation but they've got to at least come out with a split in my mind and looking towards the rest of the season i think they'd also have to split maine and they might have to sweep unh who is falling and umass Lowell. i mean it's that time yeah, <laughs> it's that, it's that time of the year, guys, and it, it, like I said, it's it's just it's now or never for this team. They have to make a statement and show the rest of the college hockey world what they're made of, and what you know we we can only tell what we've seen in the past couple of weekends. But I think it comes down to you know just continuing the momentum and putting up a fight against some of the best in the nation because. If they don't, it's game over. I, I just want to bring up something that uh, that's kind of loosely related. Um, College Hockey News recently released a, uh, uh, what, what is it called, probability matrix for pairwise. And, you know, they had they had uh, UMass projected to finish 10th, right, right where they are now. And considering the opponents they have on the ledger, I think, you know, that's pretty impressive. They have... Two, two, or sorry, four games against top ten teams in college hockey out of the the eight they have remaining, uh, and so to to stay in tenth, I think that would put them in a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you, Andrew. Also, just while we're thinking back a little bit, think back to where UMass was projected in Hockey East mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. I don't exactly know what it was, but I want to say it was in that real bottom. What was it, ten? I think they were projected to be in a tenth. Yeah, it, it was low. Hockey East, yeah. So that that just goes to show you where they've come so far, and, and they've got a lot of places to go still. But, yeah, I, I really want to reiterate how important this game is Friday, especially home. I don't know when we're going to get this up, but it's 3.05 on a Thursday right now, and somebody's already claiming on Twitter that they're going to be camping out getting ready <laughs> yeah. for the game. So th- this is going to be sick. Guys, it's going to be sold out. The atmosphere is going to be unreal. They're, they're, uh, UMass Hockey they posted a graphic about you know anticipating a standby line so they're gonna have they're they're expecting people to be waiting to get in you know after the game has already started and stuff so it there's there's a lot of hype around this game and uh is even on even on campus around here i mean i can tell you i'm there at four o'clock tomorrow boys i mean it's it's gonna that's be it for, oh okay <laughs> when are you getting there john you should be there at 4 a.m hey credit to that guy i, I i'm yeah, not sure <laughs> I'm not sure of his name, but um, it's caused some stir on Twitter that he's tenting out. And um, But it's going to be a great one tomorrow night, and uh, I think it's going to be something we haven't seen in a while from the Mullen Center. I mean, you just look at um, the main game a couple weeks ago. They had students filing in past the third period, and whether or not that's the security's fault or not is for people to uh, make opinions on themselves, but it's just going to be a great atmosphere, and 
I'm really, really looking forward to it, and I really hope UMass can at least put up a fight. Yeah, John, that's a great point. The main game was insane. I got there a little bit late. I was doing some homework, but the line was all the way down to the parking lot. It wrapped around the Mullen Center and went all the way down. It was insane. When, when did you get in? Uh, right up, right up puck drop, which oh, is man, considered yeah. so late. You're, for, you're one of the lucky ones. Oh, right? yeah, I was lucky. Yeah, I was, I was talking to Brennan McGrevy, our own uh, – one of our own at WMUA, and he was <laughs> trying to get in. He he wasn't able to. They he had to to leave because he was a little bit too late. But that just goes to show you got to be early tomorrow night. Yeah, lucky for me, I was on the call for that main game, and I I will be alongside Devin Dobeck again uh, tomorrow night, as it stands uh, against Boston College. But yeah, it, it there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be a lot of people waiting to get in. Uh, and you should probably make sure you're not one of them. Yeah, you, you got to go. It's it's going to be sick. I'm so pumped. I, ca- I can't even wait. But I just want to jump into real quick while we're on the topic. Things to watch for, things to look out for this weekend against the number one team in the nation. Well, uh, we mentioned this a little bit uh, in or earlier this week. We, we talked to Kenny Connors, who I think you brought it up, didn't you, Jacob, yeah, yep. about him playing with uh, Cutter Gauthier. Uh, in the World Juniors last year, and you asked him, you know, what to look for in him, and he said his shot. They they really got to pay attention to that, not only when they're killing penalties, but you know, at even strength too, because he's he's got a shot that can that can change the game just like that, like like what we saw with Sunyev uh, on Saturday in uh, against UConn. Yeah, cutters cutters unreal, and Kenny spoke pretty highly of him just that he's got an electric shot i watched him in the world juniors i've watched him at bc his shot is unreal which means they're going to have to get to the middle of the ice which is something that connor's does pretty well as a center really getting to the middle and getting under sticks that's going to be the key if you give cutter any space in the high slot or maybe on kind of the, the half wall where he has a chance to really go top shelf and and snipe you better be praying for Robble. great goaltender but the shot is just unreal yeah he's got a he's got a shot that a lot of times, no goaltender can save. 23 goals in 27 games. That's Cutter Gauthier. Unreal. Another guy with a lot of points is Gabe Perot. He has 13 goals and 32 assists for 45 points, which I believe is at the top of the nation. Yes, he, he took over the, the nation lead uh, last weekend yes. over uh, over Denver's Massimo Rizzo, who had, who had the top spot for pretty much the entire season so clearly this guy has the ability to dish the puck like no one else across uh all of college hockey so you can't give him any space either because he's the guy that's feeding guys like will smith Gautier, and even ryan leonard and giving them the high amount of goals that they have and you know he's just another guy that they have to really really watch out for and i think that goes back to our point of kind of the offensive defense that UMass has in creating the defense in uh, the BC zone, because allowing them to get those breakouts and you know having to rely on the back six, you know it, it's going to have to come in before BC gets to the UMass zone. John, I like that point. I'm going to get back to it. But another thing about Gabe Perot, Jacob, you're going to like hearing this as a, as a Rangers fan. He's a Rangers prospect. You see, you see where he gets all his goals. They're just right in front of the net, like like ten, less than ten feet out, maybe five feet out. He, you know, he, you know who he reminds me of a little bit. Who? Chris Kreider. Yeah, 
There, that's it, Andrew. That's a spot-on comparison. I actually haven't thought about that, but yeah, when you look at Gabe Perot's game, and we may as well talk about that second line. All freshmen, all of course BC guys. Ryan Leonard, Amherst guy. His brother played here at UMass. Gabe Perot, who's just been unreal, and Will Smith, all U.S. national guys. I think they all put up 100 points uh, their past season with the U.S. national team development program. Anyways, Perot is really good at creating plays, especially, like you said, with the assist, leads the nation. He's a guy that also is going to linger around in front of the net, but Will Smith, the center, he's been unreal in just being able to create plays, giving Perot an opportunity to station himself in front of the net, like you see the comparison to Chris Kreider. I really like that because in a few years, Perot is going to be a New York Ranger, drafted in 2023, 23rd overall, which I, I, I was surprised he went to us. I couldn't believe we picked him up. I thought he was probably going to be somewhere maybe around 15. I was surprised he slipped. But that second line, you really have to watch out for them. Those three freshmen, they're deadly. Another another Rangers thing with 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 Kreider with Kreider's twi- the twilight of his career coming to a close. You know, it, it, it it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting that you can just kind of just replace him immediately with with Perot. Yeah, kind of just plant him back in. Of course, Chris Kreider a little bit of a bigger guy compared to Perot. He's still got some growing to do. Just 18 years old, 5'11", 165. And just from watching his game, it looks like his skating at least early on when I was watching him, his skating might be need to to be a little bit improved as he makes his transition to the NHL, but that he's still, like I said, he's really young, 18 years old. He's got a lot of growth, and he's going to be unreal as a Ranger, and he's already being unreal as a as an Eagle. But, John, let's get back to what, you're sa- what you said about the offensive-defense for UMass. Um, obviously, you, you think of that, and you think Scott Morrow, right? He, he's, he's, he's the guy that, you know, he, he's getting a bunch of—he leads the team in points. As a defenseman, which is pretty pretty crazy to think about, especially considering you know what what some may detract from his game about you know the the actual defensive side of his game, um, but I think he's improved on that a lot too. Besides, uh, aside from a couple like noticeable gaffes, he's been he's been a lot better defensively, I think, and I think that it's the perfect time for that. Yeah, defense is key this weekend. But I mean, often everything's key. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to pick just one thing because UMass just has to be on top of their game like they yeah. never have been before. It's got a. It's all three facets of the game: offense, defense, and goaltending. All of them have to be spot on if they want any chance at winning. Yeah, and I also want to make a a point. A lot of people criticize Scott Moore over the past couple of years for some of his defensive gaffes, like you said, Andrew. But a lot of those criticisms are just because he's so gifted and his ceiling is so high. You don't see some of the other criticisms about some of the other defensemen for UMass, like Owen Murray or, or Elliot McDermott. That's not to say they're not good defensemen. They're, they're very good. But it's just because the cap on Scott Morrow is so high, and you see what he's working with, his huge frame, his really good skating, his edges are unreal. And I asked him actually about that power move that we see him mm-hmm. notoriously do, the behind the back, through the light, kind of pass to himself, and how he's been utilizing that to drive the net a little bit more. But that all comes back to what I'm saying about how Morrow is just his his physical the physical element of his game is there the IQ is there and he's really starting to put that all together and like I said the ceiling on Morrow it's just increasing with every year the the thing with Morrow that puts him into bad situations is you you mentioned it he's just so good and that he he tries he, sometimes he tries to do a little bit too much 
And, you know, that may be of because of him, you know, thinking so far ahead that, you know, he's not really thinking about the, uh, the, the current uh, of, of where to go right right now. But, you know, it, it the, the talent shows it either way. And with, I think, with what I've noticed is his defensive game improving, I think that it's the perfect time for it. Yeah. Morrow is a, certainly a, a great player to watch this weekend. He's a guy that kind of has to take the reins of the horse and, you know, drive it forward, right? I mean, because he's got experience over, you know, some of the other guys being a junior. And, you know, people rely on him for his, you know, great offense and um, improving defense. You know, he's got 20 assists on the year. But, yeah, he, he's a certainly a guy to watch this weekend. You know, and while we're on the defense, um, I think that another thing that the, the timing has been perfect on is two things, actually. We can talk about both of them. Is the return of Dinasari, right? And the growth of Lyndon Alger. I think, you know, obviously, Dinasari uh, able to come back after he, he was hurt in the December 1st game against Vermont, came back for the January 20th game at Northeastern. And, you know, it's really just been smooth sailing for UMass ever since. And last, last year we saw how Lyndon Alger's injury um, coincided with kind of the downfall of the team. And uh, I, I honestly think that um, the uh, Ninasari's return has coincided with partially with the resurgence. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. I really love Ninasari's game just because he's like a he's like a safety blanket. When you get into bed at night and it's a little cold outside and the leaves are ruffling outside the window, you toss that blanket on and Ninasari's there for you. If you're a defenseman on UMass, you, you just snuggle right up into that blanket because it's comforting. And that's what he offers on this defensive front for UMass in ways that other guys can't really do because his defense is so one way which it being in the defensive zone and that's comforting for this UMass defensive core and being paired with Scott Morrow I think that's given him clearance to to go in deep in the offensive zone more because like you said Ninasari is going to be there waiting for you and you know he's blocked 37 shots this year in only 16 games and that leads the team so you know he has more than double the amount of blocks than he has played games. So I, I think that's a, a huge uh, thing right there is getting in front of the puck this weekend because not many of the UMass defenders like to do it. And he's a guy that I believe uh, was calling the Northeastern game and they had a uh, the Huskies had a five-minute power play and I think he might have blocked two or three shots on the power play alone So or the Northeastern power play alone. So you know, he's a guy even in the defensive zone that is going to get in front of pucks, and it, it's huge for UMass. But you mentioned uh, Lyndon Alger as well, Andrew. And uh, we talked a lot about this on our call this uh, past weekend for mm-hmm. UConn and how he's just been so much more confident in, in shooting the puck. You know, he got his first goal against Harvard, and ever since then he you know, kind of just willfully shoots the puck towards the net and you know hopes for maybe a bounce he would have gotten an assist on the uh, Jack Musa goal because of just a shot towards the net but yeah you know also he's been playing with Ryan Ufko a lot and I think he's a great compliment to Ufko's game because you know if he's not going to shoot it towards the net he's going to pass it off to Ufko and he's going to make something happen with the puck 
And I, I remember uh, Coach Carvel's answer to that um, that goal, that, that conversation in, in, in the post game presser, is because uh, we were we were talking about Alger, and he was he was mentioning that he had so much time on that play because people were so drawn to Ofco that he actually was able to sit for a while and think about what he was going to do, and he just decided to let it rip. And it resulted in, in, a, in a nice goal by, by Musa sitting on the back door that was eventually called off. But, you know, that, that's just that's a microcosm, I think, of the growth of Lyndon Alder's game. And I asked him about it a couple weeks ago, and he said it's just coming with confidence. You know, he hasn't been able to play that much due to, you know, as a freshman, he was a healthy scratch a lot of the time. And then last year, he finally got a chance to solidify himself in the lineup, and then he broke his leg. And that was just brutal. But, you know, coming back this year, senior, you know, uh, you know he's not going to have too many more opportunities. You wonder if he might come back next year as a grad student. But, you know, he's really come into his own. And it, 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 along with Ninasari, it's the perfect time for it because that's just another layer to UMass's defense that is just has just really come into form lately. Yeah, those are. It's, that's a great point that you brought up, Andrew. Those two guys are are anchors. They really are. They bolster this UMass defense down, and it's very reciprocal, I guess you could call it, between UMass's defense. You have the guys that stay more conservative on the back end, and then you just tell Scott Morrow and Ryan Ufko, do your thing. Have some fun. Go make something happen in the offensive zone. And when you have hockey like that, complementary hockey, it makes your team so much deeper, and it makes the game so much easier when guys complement their style of play. And that's a lot of credit to Coach Carvel in putting those combinations together. Maybe it took him a little bit, while, oh, a little while, but he certainly figured it out now. And I will say about Coach Carvel, some of his remarks about Lyndon Alger, is that he, like you said, with the injury, he didn't exactly know what to get out of Alger coming into the season, especially with you know the long recovery process. He's still trying to figure out his game, who he is, and he's been very impressed, at least he told me a few weeks ago, with how well he's conducted himself on the ice, off the ice, and how he's really grown into a leadership role. And there, Jacob, uh, just to touch on one of your points, you mentioned role players and how people, or you know, guys on the team are able to really play their role, especially on the defensive end, because, you know, Ninasari and Alger, they're going to be defensive first, and then Ufko and Morrow, they're going to be offensive first, usually, and, you know, it's unfair to say to a guy, especially like Morrow, to, you know, that you have to stress on defense, because at the end of the day, he is an offensive defenseman, so it's it's really great to see him alongside a guy like Ninasari, who will kind of have Morrow's back, if you will, especially on the in the back end, and you know, kind of getting back uh, in the zone, and just you know, kind of cycling the puck out, and just covering for him almost. John, have you ever been in a fight? <laughs> Can't say I have. No. It's kind of like when you're in a fight, you look back, your brother's got your back. That's what that relationship is between Nina Sari and Mora and some of these defensemen. One guy goes up the ice, you look back, he's there. He's got you right at the blue line. Nobody's getting by him, and that's a really special thing. And that's really going to help UMass as they go against a really powerful offense in Boston College coming up. And, you know, we, we've talked about all these things coming together for UMass against Boston College, but let, why don't we just take a, a bit of a look at Boston College here for a second. We, we've mentioned, you know, Jacob Fowler. We've mentioned the freshman line. We've mentioned 
Cutter Gauthier. Um, but let's just let's just take a look at their schedule, right, real quick. They're 21-5-1, and one, uh, 13-3-1 in Hockey East. So right off the bat, that looks like, you know, really uphill battle. Um, but their, their losses are to Denver, uh, Maine, Northeastern, Providence, and Boston University. Four of those five teams are ranked right about where UMass is. And so I think, you know, obviously that, that proves that they are a fallible team. And, you know, a, a team around UMass's caliber has been able to beat them before. And you, uh, we, we mentioned earlier about, you know, taking uh, more, than, uh, more than three points or something uh, away from this team. The only team that's done that, that's come close to doing that, they haven't been swept at all this season. The only team that's come close to doing that is Maine. Uh, the 10th and 11th of November, uh, they, at, at Alphon, keep in mind, um, they lost to Maine 4-2 to and then tied Maine 2-2. to BC took the extra Hockey East point in the shootout, but, you know, Maine's been the only team that's taken, you know, more than half the points away from BC uh, in a weekend series. And those are all great, fabulous points, Andrew. And to add one final layer to this, Boston College did not hoist a Beanpot trophy in the air this past weekend. So they're going to be really charged up to come into Amherst. I think that, to your point, uh, Jacob, their last two games, they beat up on New Hampshire and Harvard, of course. All Harvard's nowhere near the caliber team that Boston College is and of course New Hampshire is slipping down the rankings themselves so they're mad (laughs) to say the least another interesting point is that no Boston team that has won the national title has lost the beanpot so that's an interesting development there you know they're not too happy that uh, Boston University, who they swept a couple weeks beforehand, was able to take that from them, their chance to be able to play for Boston, Boston's hockey title. And, you know, I don't think they're going to let UMass really take it to them because of that. And because the, the, they, they know at this point in the season, it's most of these series is, are, are must wins. And I, I think it's something to watch out for for UMass because I think Boston College is going to be on their best game. You mentioned being charged up, but I, I'm I'm going to offer the maybe the opposite perspective. What if they're complacent right now? Yeah, I don't they, think they their their last two games are kind of laughers against New Hampshire and Harvard, and you know obviously Harvard's was in the 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 bean pot consolation game, so they are probably upset about being in the consolation game in the first place but harvard is not the team we thought they were at the beginning of the season like far from it they've won four games um and you know you you wonder if playing against teams that are slipping and have been slipping for a while um especially in harvard's case has led to some easy victories i i looked at the highlights of that that beanpot consolation game and it looked easy for them. It looked like they were playing, you know, like Simon Fraser, which they did in uh, January, too, when when all their 
uh, World Juniors players were out. They won that game 5-1. to one. It looked similar to if they were playing a U-Sports team. Um, so you wonder if UMass is also catching BC at the right time to where they they, they may come into Mullins, you know, not not charged up, not not skating as fast, and see if they could take advantage of that. Yeah, you know, maybe. That's an interesting perspective. I don't really think about that. But one thing about great teams is when they have to win, when they have to get charged up and play a very formidable opponent, they do so. They, they come to Amherst, at least in this case, and they're going to be fired up. If they are complacent, however... UMass has to punch them right in the nose right away. John, you've mm-hmm. talked about how UMass is a third-period team a lot, and I totally agree with you, but you can't be a third-period team this Friday if BC is going to come in here, lollygag around, and think they could just roll over UMass. I think I think whether or not they you know show up to play at the, at the start of this game, UMass needs to take it to them early. I don't, I, I, obviously, they could be complacent. They could not be. I don't think it matters. I think they got to take it to them right away. Yeah, that's really important, Jacob and Andrew. Both uh, great points there, but I I I I I struggle with that because I always like to see UMass play their strengths, and their strength is, for whatever reason, doing well in the third period. And I think you look back. I I always go back to this point. You look back to Michigan, where they scored what six goals in the third period. Yep. So I, I'm not sure I'd write them off too quickly if they're, let's say, down 2 nothing going into the third on uh, tomorrow night. But to kind of set the tone for the weekend, I agree they have to go up early, in which they um, historically haven't been the best at. But it, it'll just be so interesting to see how this plays out either way because if they don't go up early, it's safe to say that Boston College probably will have the lead going into the third period either night and then then you say okay can UMass put up some points or will they put up a goose egg like they did against Maine you know, I think the key distinction here there's two kind of third period teams it's a team that goes into the third period up four to one and closes out the game which isn't the team you're describing or it's a team that goes into the third period down four to one and then wins 5-4 in overtime. That's the team that we've seen out of UMass for the majority of the season. I don't really like that team, to be honest. I like the team that goes into the third with the lead. That's a lot more, you're a lot more in control of your own destiny when you do that. So I would be very wary of characterizing UMass as a third team, third period team when they come back, because you can only do that so much. You know what I mean? Like, you can only come back so many times and get a lot of momentum, which they certainly do from the UMass faithful. They do a great job of that. Coach Carvel said that outright. But they're a lot better when they go into the third period with a lead. And if they do that against BC, I think they have a lot better chance than coming back and trying to put up a plethora of goals against Fowler. Jacob, I like that point, and I think the the biggest, the best example of that is the main game, you know, where they they played a team that is is up there as well, and you know, you know, missed chances aside, um, they they came into the third period down one to nothing. It, the game's the game's in their hands pretty much, um, and they just couldn't really get it done because Maine, you know, is the first kind of third period team that that you mentioned. They. They score goals like crazy too. Um, obviously, they only scored one in that game, and it was 50, it was like fifty seconds in. Um, but I, I think that's a it's a great example of what you're talking about, especially at the Mullins Center. Uh, I think they need to be the first period team or the the the, the third period team that you mentioned, um, the first one, so that they can avoid another another main situation. 
and that's also important just to get the crowd into the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a really important thing because, like I said, if they're down 2-0 to zero going into the third period, they're going to have a quiet Mullen Center. And I don't think that's what they want this weekend. No, not at all. You got to keep keep in mind we're we're at the zoo here. You know, you don't want to lose people. Some of the college students to the bars. You know, in this third period, second and a half period, because that will happen. But if you keep them engaged and if you go out early and get yourselves a lead, you're going to keep fans in their seats and you're going to keep the energy buzzing. Which, like you said, John, we've seen it all along. UMass feeds off that energy, and they're going to have a chance to do that again this weekend. So we've been, we've been dancing around it for a while. Um, We've been dancing around it with like what to expect uh, coming into this weekend. But uh, do you guys have any predictions as to how it's actually going to play out? I'll say UMass takes the first game. They're going to win five to three, and I think they go into the third period tied at three. And I, I think they guys they prove you guys wrong and <laughs> and get the win, and then on. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, that's it's going to be tough. Uh, going into Conti, it's also going to be sold out. I think BC is probably mad that they dropped the first game and they win in overtime 3-2. to two. So what's the final record there? UMass wins, what did I say, 5-3 to three the first game and then BC wins... Three to two in overtime, so UMass takes four, four of six. Points. So they go one on one. Well, they one and one, but one. for in yeah. hockey's for, ter- in hockey's terms, it would be one zero oh, and one. Right. In NCAA standards, that would be one and one. Right. But, Got it. But that would be four out of six mm-hmm. hockey's points against a very good BC team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just trying to interpret that. I like that take. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. I think this is. Mm, I want to say low scoring Friday night. I don't know why B- BC's coming in, putting up a lot of goals. UMass's defense, though, is really good. So I think you see a game where a lot of offensive power, firepower, and you just don't see a lot of pucks in the back of the net. With that being said, I go 2-1 UMass win Friday. And then Coach Carvel says all the time how hard it is to get a sweep following your first win or loss in that matter. I go UMass loses Sunday against BC. I think that's going to be a little bit more high scoring 4-3. But nevertheless, it's going to be it's going to be a tight weekend. I think this is the first time I've been the uh the, the downer of the three of us. So, um uh, this is uncharted waters for me. But um you know, I I just I just think about UMass's um series against Boston College, the their series history against Boston College. It's so bad. I think what was it seventeen seventy four and one? Yeah, it's it's rough. Something something crazy like that. Um, they they have struggled against Boston College, even when UMass was good. Boston College was not. the The championship year they got swept. Uh, the the year they won the hockey East for the second straight year, they got swept. So, just con- just considering that, I think it's going to be very very challenging uh, against a, a team that's historically had your number um, but I'm going to look back to, I, we, we mentioned not to take too much into it but I, I think I think this is a pretty good uh, litmus test for, for how this weekend's going to go the, the, the weekend against Boston University in October um, it was a different team then 
but I think it goes in a similar way. I, th I think uh, I think UMass and BC tie at the Mullen Center Ice, and the Conti Forum is just going to be a little bit too much for for UMass. So I think uh, I think they take one point out of this weekend, and I would be ecstatic for more. Um, if if I were a UMass fan, I am calling the game, so I can't be. Um, <laughs> but. I, I really I think I need to temper my expectations a little bit for this for this weekend, not not to end on a bad note, but no, that's reasonable. That's that's a very solid point from an unbiased UMass supporter, right there. All I'll say is that UMass has all the momentum. BC may think they have all the momentum, but with your point, Andrew, of beating up on bad teams, yeah. and I, I will one bad team one slipping team yeah but i'm not sure i i think they they gotta win at least one whether or not they uh, lose the second one in overtime is up in the air all of it's up in the air obviously but you know i i, I don't think they lose more than four points I, I will end on a good point though I, I i will end on a high note that that thing that i mentioned earlier about uh, all of BC's losses pretty much being against, you know, similar similarly ranked teams, you know, the we some may call like the the second tier of, of NCAA. Uh, I think that that's a good sign for UMass. I think that really shows them that, you know, they it, it's very possible. Uh, and you know, coach Carvel has described the the chemistry of the locker room, the uh, as as being a lot better as in recent past, so you know I think that this team could have the mental fortitude to do it too. For sure, fellas, it's going to be fun. Let's see what the weekend brings us. Would you guys want to do a quick pivot to NHL real quick? A quick pivot. Sure. What do you got? Bruins Lightning just happened. That was a good game. <sighs> Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it was a good game though. I think it had you know every everything you you want to see in a hockey game. Um, so, some some uh, some goal line goals, uh, some some big saves. Um, the Lightning skating the puck out to the neutral zone for no reason and overtime. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> well, we, we 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 both agree on on the the issues with three on three overtime, yeah. both here and in the NHL. I've um, never, but I've never seen it like that though. Like oh what? They weren't like even pressured. It was like well, they they did, and then. You know they'd get it right back, and then they. But it, it was like it was like for it was like for three and a half out of the five minutes of that overtime. Yeah, I, I think that was probably just their game plan because I think the Bruins um, are prone to giving up the odd man rush, and I think that's what they were looking for. You see, David Pasternak always get lost in coverage in overtime, which is annoying to say the least. But. Um, the Bruins have been uh, confusing out of the All-Star break. Uh, they beat up on Vancouver, which was really interesting. But then, the, um, of course, they dropped a game to the Lightning, and then they uh, I think they dropped one to New Jersey right out of the break, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, it was Calgary. It was oh, Calgary. Yeah. That's who it was. So uh, I think they play the Kraken tonight. They should uh, win that game, but I, I don't know with with them at this point they got to make a trade deadline acquisition i know that uh, as it, as do most teams but yeah they're a little bit confusing right now i'll say lena solmark also got fined for a phantom slash <laughs> hey i 
who else was Grizzlick was fined for spearing a couple games ago. It's it's just it's been, it's been a weird time out of the All Star break. It not not everything is not going their way. They've had a victory, but I, I think tonight is important to kind of beat up on the Kraken because they're not a good team, and we'll go from there. As as a Lightning fan, I think it. I think I am in a much better uh, mindset than I was in like November because mm-hmm. I think uh, Vas- that was the best game Vasilevsky's had this season, uh, and great time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he made thirty five saves, I believe, um, but made a, made a bunch of ten dollars too. Um, so I, I think I think the Bruins would have won in regulation if not for Vasilevsky, especially with how they controlled the third period. Uh, it was Lightning turned it over way too much in the third period. And uh, that was, uh, you know, a hint of their, their struggles earlier in the season. They just turned the puck over way too easily. Um, but this time they had a, a fallback in Vasilevsky. Uh, so I, I'm in a much better spot as a fan than I was in, in November. Uh, it, they were playing the Avalanche. Uh, tonight, which is going to be fun, uh, the the two uh, Art Ross candidates going going up against each other. Kucherov um, broke ahead a little bit uh, recently. McKinnon's coming back up. Um, Kale McCarr, obviously, elite defenseman, best defenseman <laughs> in the league. I think Hedman finally passed the torch. Um, Jacob, you have no remarks about that with with Adam Fox. Uh, no, Fox is playing. He's had a not a great season. Let me tell you. Fair enough, um, but yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun fun time, uh, fun time for the league for sure. Yeah, and then MetLife uh, Rangers versus Islanders this Sunday, I are, believe. Are you going to that? I'm not. One of my buddies is. I'm actually driving him tomorrow. I think, uh, I think Noah's going. Yeah, Noah Glickman's going. Our our colleague here at WMUA, he's going to that Stadium Series game. So that that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Yeah, that's going to be cool. I've never been a fan of outdoor games. I just feel like it's too far to see. Yeah. As a fan, maybe, but it's it's, it's cool to see. Watching no? it on TV oh, is sure. fun. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, MetLife is huge. It's the biggest stadium in all football. I know you can't do it anywhere else, but it's, yeah. it is tough to, to see, depending on where you're sitting at, at least. Mm-hmm. But I love outdoor games. I play a lot of pond hockey, watch a lot of outdoor games. It's it's definitely fun. No, the, the, uh, the display on TV is is pretty pretty special um and obviously the 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 sight lines at uh at the stadiums may not be the best but uh, it's still um, i'm sure it's still definitely an experience i've never been to one at but sure you have fenway well frozen fenway (laughs) but i've never been to one as a fan and they they charge north of four hundred dollars for that Bruins Winter Classic, and you're yeah. probably going to be stuck behind one of the Fenway poles <laughs> in, the, in the grandstands. But uh, I was at that Frozen Fenway game for UMass, and I had a, a seat on the top deck, and probably the best seat in the house for Fenway standards. But yeah, no no thoughts about the Rangers though, Jacob. What do you got? Um, we're trending in the right direction. I really like what they're doing. I think they have to. Go out and get a, a winger, a competent winger, Frank Vetrano, maybe. I know that name has been fluttering around. You mess up. I want to see him in, in, in Ranger Blue again. <laughs> uh, third line center will be really nice, of course, with Philip Heedle not playing the rest of the year out for injury. Hope he gets better. But yeah, definitely a team 
Top five team in the league, no doubt about it, at least in my opinion. Uh, wow, voice crack, <laughs> tough there. Uh, that's how you know I'm kind of getting to my, my end here. But, yeah, Rangers trending up, pretty happy with them. Should be good. All right, I think that voice crack signals that we need to <laughs> we need to wrap it up a bit. So, uh, guys, great great talking with you. Uh, BC, great weekend. Uh, really excited for it. Uh, fan, you know, uh, announcer. It, it's it, it's it's a weekend that's going to be it, that's been circled on the calendar for a while, and, and it's finally here. Um, so, uh, you can listen to Devin and I, Devin Dobek on and I on the call on. Uh, on, on Friday, 7 o'clock Eastern at, on 91.1 WMUA. Uh, but for now, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here uh, along with Jacob Repper, John Ruggiero. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. See you at the, see you at the Mullen Center.